Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Nishant Singh. Nishant is the CEO and founder of Peach. He started the company in 2014 with a focus that daily lunch should be amazing for working professionals. Today, Peach is operational in the entire United States, and they deliver thousands of lunchboxes from local restaurants to offices each day. Nishant has experienced the startup thrills from raising the largest seed round in the Pacific Northwest in 2014 to taking hard steps of restructuring the business to weather changing market conditions. Seven years down the line and Nishant's entrepreneurial spirit is fueling his ambitions to take the company to IPO. Outside of his dreams of taking Peach public one day, Nishant enjoys cooking and traveling with his wife. During the pandemic, they have road tripped nearly 10,000 miles across the U.S., including a recent honeymoon through the Mojave Desert. Welcome, Nishant. That sounds amazing. I'm so jealous. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, so good to see you. It's, it's definitely been a while. Um, so how did you get to do 10,000 miles of travel? Just like with masks? <laughs> <laughs> so it has mostly been during the, um, you know, the whole pandemic, you cannot travel by air. And uh, me and my wife, um, we were supposed to get married in Joshua Tree in 2020, but we had to cancel that wedding because of the whole pandemic happened. But then we still wanted to kind of, you know, do something for our honeymoon. So we decided to do a road trip all the way from Seattle to Joshua Tree and then back. And it was just like, like 10, 14 days of amazing fun. Every day we stop at some new city Like you know, I feel personally feel that uh, you see United States on a car, you don't see on a plane. Yeah. And I think being not from here, like I came here in 2007, the breadth of the, the states, like how many different kind of cultures are here, the climates are here, just like breathtaking. Yeah. So to me, I think, to see the real United States, you go on a road trip. Yeah, I need to do that. That's definitely on my list. I haven't done it, but we're going to get dig into all of it. But first, I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. I'm going to give you an easy one to start. This one is, what's your favorite cereal? I really like Honey Bunch Oats. Oh, yeah. So good. Yeah. Okay. What have you read, listened to, or watched in the past year? that you would recommend? I would recommend watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino. You know, I could not get into that movie and maybe I should try it again. I couldn't get into it. I was so psyched. I love the cast. I love Quentin Tarantino. Maybe I just wasn't in the right mm -hmm. mindset. I think you have to devote time on Quentin Tarantino movies. You don't yeah. get it after one time. You have to spend, like I've seen that movie four times and every oh. time I find something new. 
It's the beauty it, of the Quentin Tarantino. It's so weird because I just went on a walk this morning and was listening to Dax Shepard's uh, podcast, and he was interviewing Common, you know, the the rapper, mm-hmm. and they start, they got on this whole side conversation about Quentin Tarantino. So it's so weird that now we're talking about it. I literally was like a couple hours ago. Anyway, um, what is your favorite way to relax? Um, I live in Capitol Hill. My apartment looks over the Olympics and the water. So take a beer in my hand and just sit down on my couch and just look outside the best. Uh, yeah. I can just do that for hours. Yeah. Well, it's such so beautiful here, especially today. It's gorgeous out. Gorgeous. Um, what was the very first concert that you ever attended? Odessa at Paramount Theater um, in 2011. And since then, I think I might be their biggest fan. I've traveled three continents to see them. And I think I've seen them a total of 12 times in real. Oh my gosh. Wow. You're psyched to go back and see them again, I'm sure. Oh, I, I hope they come up with a, their like tour. I would be the first one to buy tickets. Yeah, that's great. Are you um, an introvert or an extrovert? I am an introvert, although people think I'm an extrovert. So I think it comes back from my, um, I used to stammer when I was a kid. So it was um, a stutter. I used to stutter when I was a kid. And um, when I came to States, it was a different, and we can go into details about that. But I I think I'm an introvert from within, but I have enough um, skills now to become an extrovert. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people have that answer. They're like, I'm, I'm an introvert masked as an extrovert out of necessity, because as a CEO, there's certain, you can't just hide behind and kind of code and stay behind your computer. You have to be front facing. So I want to take that word. mask. What are three words that best describe you? Um, Enthusiastic. Enabler, passionate. Nice. And um, fashionable, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I don't know if that's your top three, but it's in there somewhere. Um, so you started to talk about coming to the United States. Where are you from? Where were you raised? I was raised in northern part of India. It's a small town called Gurki, which is, um, you know, uh, north of New Delhi. A uh, very small town where everyone knows everyone else. Like my mom used to get calls from people that, hey, your son is doing something, something. <laughs> so I think when I came here, um, it was my first time actually coming on a plane when I boarded a plane to US. And so I was just thrilled to see, wow, no one knows me here. That's How old were you when you came on the plane to the US? 23. Oh, wow. That was your first time on the plane. Ever. And when you say your mom was like getting calls that uh, her son was doing, you know, up to no good, were you kind of a rebellious kid? Um, No, I was a very obedient kid, but I would do um, like bike racing a lot. Like I like to do like fast things and that always got me into trouble. Um, Being um, my mom and dad divorced very early on, which is a very, um, not a very common thing in India. And so I have always been a very mom's boy, obedient boy, but I think there has been some streak of rebellion in me that came out of bike racing most yeah. of the time. So you need that adrenaline rush. What are you doing these days to get an adrenaline rush? Maybe it's now a motorcycle or skydiving? Um, 
now I am more trimmed down, I guess. Like there is less of that crazy adrenaline that I used to have in 20s. I'm 37 now. So now I kind of I have found a new hobby. I got into skateboarding. And I am going to, like, I can skateboard pretty good on flat surfaces and even going down, but, you know, those skate parks where you just jump down. So that yeah. is something I'm learning. And I just kind of hurt my back yesterday doing yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say, don't get, don't get injured. But and that so, is something I'm doing. So would you uh, classify your childhood as being uh, one that you have fond memories of? Um, very much fond memories, um, although I would say it, um, there were a lot of desires that were not met when I was a kid. So I think when I came here, it was a very good opportunity to meet those desires because this, this country is just great in terms of if you have something that you want to achieve, they always, like this country almost give you a platform that mm. they go achieve that. So mm -hmm. And how did you um, come? Did your family come also? Or are they still in India? No, I am the first one in my like four or five extended um, like tree of generation to come to US. Um, when I came here, my whole family came to like see me off. Um, I'm actually the first person in my family to have a business because most of my family has always been in um, service work. Like my dad is an accountant in Air Force, Indian Air Force, and my dad is retired now, she used to be a bank manager. So I'm the first one actually who came to US and the first one who opened a business. Wow, and what about your mom? What did, was she a homemaker or was she working outside of the home? So uh, mom was always working. As long as I remember, she was always working. Um, so I grew up with my grandma and my grandpa from my mom's side. Um, mom used to go at like nine o'clock in the office and come back at six. So. My time with her will be only Saturday, Sunday, and after six, and she'll make mm -hmm. the dinner for us. But basically, she would be, uh, I would say, like, she did both the things. She also grew us up and also worked at the same time. Wow. Wow. That's a lot for her to work so much and raise you guys. Would you say that when you were younger, um, you know, your friends, so most of your friends that you grew up with are still in India, I'm guessing. And do you stay in touch with them through social media and, I guess, Zoom? <laughs> um, coincidentally, actually, my 90% of my group is in U.S. now. Um, oh. I think there, there was a wave in India during that time when we were going to do our bachelor's where a lot of, uh, especially in computer science, um, the next step after you do your bachelor's is not to do a job, but actually fly overseas to do another master's, which I did. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of my friends, I think it was just, you know, like attract like. So we'll mm -hmm. talk to each other about that. So I'm very fortunate that um, I had a group of 13 people in India now, eight and nine of them, nine of them actually. Oh, wow. Did any of them come to the, did any of them come to Seattle? No, but actually one uh, who's in Portland used to work for Siemens, just got a job in Amazon. So he's moving. Oh, nice. Very excited. Mm -hmm. Nice. Oh, that's very cool. And so um, how did you end up in Seattle of all places? Amazon.com. Um, I was um, at ASU and mm -hmm. um, I graduated in the, the, the crisis, the real estate, the mortgage crisis. Yeah, I saw that. I was noticing. I'm like, you graduated from your master's. And so you went to undergrad in India and then came over here for your master's at ASU. Yes. Um, well, before we go on to the Amazon thing, like who navigates that for you? And you're coming from another country. I'm assuming you were raised speaking some English. 
you know, because it's in India, they speak English a lot, but it's like, how do you even navigate that whole process without, you know, your so, first generation? I think the lot of his goes to my, uh, specifically one person in my college, Naman Goyal. He's a director of product on, in LinkedIn now. So he was my senior in, um, in college and he uh, decided, I think his brother decided to go to like do GRE and go fly overseas. So he also did that and I just followed his footsteps. And so he basically also went to Arizona State and um, when I was applying, he was like, you should just apply here because I can get you connected with a lot of people to get, you know, fellowship and whatnot. So he, I think I still contribute my coming to here and kind of how my trajectory of my life changed because I came here mm. to Naman Goyal. And I still tell him that, thank you so much. I'm so grateful to you that you have been in my life. Yeah. So you've done, you, so when you graduated, you, I mean, you've been basically working in software development your whole career. And as we were, we were kind of talking about the introvert extrovert thing, like we do a ton of placements of, um, of engineers and oftentimes it kind of correlates with an introverted personality or someone who likes to kind of go deep and just, you know, code all day. Um, when did you realize that you had kind of this other side of you that had leadership skills and wants to also run a business versus just uh, develop software? I, um, I think it has been, so I am, I was never a coder from within, meaning that I used coding as a means to get to um, be at a good place. Like I think coders are paid well and that's a profession that is always in high demand. Um, but actually I was always interested in um, experiencing new things and being a coder, I think it's great. You get paid a lot and whatnot, but I think the daily, um, the mundaneness of sitting on your laptop and coding all the time. And I think the other biggest part, which I realized in Amazon was that um, I think I don't like to specialize. Mm. I like to have a breadth of things that I can put my effort into. And I think like I always tell to my salespeople is like, you know, if you have a focus problem, you're a good salesperson because all salespersons have a like big problem and focus. So I think I was never good at focusing on things, which I'm kind of getting better now, but um, just the move from being a developer to being a business owner was kind of very much a, a natural process. Like I just was very much into always talking to people, always understanding, hey, what's new, what's going on, what's a trendy thing. Um, software development was great, intellectually simulating, but not something that my heart desired. Mm -hmm. Well, it makes you an incredible leader though, if you know how, you know, how the sausage is made, you can figure it out and, and you know enough that you can now be an incredible leader because some, some CEOs don't know anything about about coding and it gives you a yes. huge advantage, of course. Um, so tell me about these other couple startups that you that you did, were they successful? Were you kind of like dabbling on the side? Um, I read about um, Suppermate and Truffle.io, but I don't know much about the businesses. So they were all dabblings. They, it all started in, so I joined Amazon in 2010. By 2011, I knew that yeah, software development is not my cup of tea. Like this is not where I want to take my career. So I started to fiddling around in my, also I was new here, no friends, nothing. So what do you do after five, right? And also Seattle is known for its gray weather. And so I'll just go down to a coffee shop after, after Amazon and I'll just start learning, you know, front end, you know, understanding how to do front end things. And 
I have always, all my startup ideas have always been around bringing people together. So mm. Sunkermade was an idea about, I am eating out alone at a restaurant. Is someone out also eating? Can we all meet together? It, it didn't go well because I think people are not very comfortable just meeting anyone random. On well, a especially place. in Seattle, you picked the ice, the ice city <laughs> <laughs> of all places. Uh, I'm like, this might've worked in New York. Exactly. So I think, and then Truffle after that was, um, I was dating at that time and I was using a lot of dating apps and it was just a frustrating experience. So I developed um, Truffle, which was again around um, bringing people together. And the twist I did it there was you have to authenticate your account via LinkedIn. So only if you are among these companies that we have whitelisted, um, you can come in. So there was a hidden trust element in it that you won't just meet any rando. Um, like if you're working in any good of these companies, you at least have a little uh, bit some of- vetting, say, Some sort of vetting. vetting has, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. And this was pre-Tinder. Um, I think um, I still kind of feel that ah, we were so close because we were very much like um, pictures and you know, yes or no, you want and we give you three new matches every day. Oh, man. That was not that was not the thing that was for me. So I think all yeah. good. Sometimes it's about timing also. Like, you know, I yes. come from an entrepreneurial family and there's been a few hits and a few misses, more misses, I would guess. And so a lot of it's like almost being too early to market. You know, this maybe people weren't quite ready for Tinder. Um, so then so working at Amazon, what area of Amazon were you in? Um, I did work in a very fascinating area. So I worked on the fulfillment side. So mm. basically when you order three or four items in Amazon, they drop in a warehouse and they can drop on any, like the warehouse is huge. They're like six football fields, like long, right? How do you make sure that all your items come in one box and not like different, different box? So I uh, worked on the algorithm that would find the best optimum path for a picker to pick these items in one mm -hmm. go, but pick other items too when they are going. And then finally you send them into a machine that will um, kind of categorize them into per customer. So that's where I spend most of my time on fine tuning. Amazon is so big that even if like you save a second or two seconds in a picker path, the yearly yeah. is like millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, of course. And what was your experience of the Amazon culture? I mean, you were there. I, well, actually, no, you had already left. Um, but that article that came out, did that resonate with you? The New York Times article talking about the culture? Are you? Um, not really. Not really. I think I really enjoyed my time at Amazon, which people sometimes can't believe it. Um, and I think I totally believe that Amazon, and I think they're very very open about it. Like you go to Amazon knowing that it's going to be a cutthroat place and they are going to push you. And I think that is something I really enjoyed. I thrived. Like I was in the first year, I had to get my footing in place. Like I was on a pip on the performance improvement plan on the first year because I couldn't figure out what was happening. But until like, then I got an understanding in second and third and fourth year. And I think it is an organization that has so much ambition in every nook and corner that I actually feel that my ambition to run a company actually came from Amazon. Mm. So to me, Amazon is, has been the greatest platform for specifically in my area of where I am now, logistics, like understanding the physical movements, how you can drive them technologically, 
I think yeah. Amazon taught, taught me that. Yeah, well, your business is all logistics. I want to get into it. So tell me, what was the what what was the idea behind Peach, and is it the same uh, idea and business model today? That's my first question. And secondarily, um, I love the name. I've always loved the name. Before I even met you, I was like, I got to meet the CEO of Peach. Like, how did you guys come up with the name? Um, so first, let's say the business model question. So the business model first was not lunch; it was dinner, and not for office, but for apartments. Aggregation was still the same. I was living on my own. I used to eat out every day. I was tired of living in, like eating at the same places around in Belltown. Delivery was not a big thing in 2013 when I started to have this idea. And basically the thought was that it would be nice if someone can just text me in the night at 6 p.m. that, hey, today's menu is these four options. If you want it, just tell us yes, and we will deliver it to you. And we will not charge you any delivery fees because there are other people also in your apartment who are also ordering. So it's like a piggyback concept where um, you can both decide the restaurant get a lot of orders and, you know, customers get the uh, freebie of not paying delivery. And so I pitched this idea to um, my um, co-founder at that time for Truffle, Chen Yu, who also became my co-founder here. And he made a slight change into it by saying that we should rather do lunch and we should do for office because mm. at, at dinner time, you have a kitchen also available, right? Yeah. And dinner people are with their kids and whatnot. So there's a different kind of thing. But at office, you're a single person. Your lunchbox is your lunchbox. You don't have to worry about anyone else's lunchbox. So why don't we think about that? But I think that's what the business model came along. And uh, we being in Amazon, we launched there. Uh, we didn't tell anyone that it was our company because we were scared that Amazon would like, you know, fire us. Yeah. And then it just, I think, um, it just took off. Like everyone just couldn't believe that, wow, you can get a tin, like a lunchbox delivered to you from these amazing restaurants that are not nearby, that are yeah. far away. And you don't have to pay crazy delivery fees and service fees on top of that. Yeah, it's it's an incredible idea. We used it at our company, um, and I want to get into it. So, Peach, where'd the name come from? Um, so, it's a very funny story. Um, the So, after we had the idea, um, there was a Seattle startup weekend at Roar um, in 2013, in November. Um, and um, me and Chen, went there, and we didn't have an idea at that time. We were, like, thinking, or we had the idea, but we had no name. We were thinking about like, oh, it's like a Groupon, you know, you mix, come people together and then get a discount. So we should call it Fruupon because it's food. <laughs> and I was Fruupon. like, this is a bullshit name. This is such a bad name. <laughs> Anyways, we were supposed to um, go pitch your idea in the Seattle sort of weekend. And yeah. I, he, like my, uh, Chen Yu pushed me like, go, like, go pitch it and just pick a name that just came to your mind. And so I was second in line after like in, in the, in the, in the, in the pitching and I was just so nervous because I didn't have a name and you have to tell your name, the company versus it is. And so I just started thinking, I'm like, should I have to pitch? I have to pitch, I don't have a name. Pitch, pitch, peach. Oh, we are peach. Oh, what a great story. That's the story, love it. Love it, love we it, love peach. it. And it's <laughs> a great we, name now. It's a great name, we love the name. So what is the business model? How does peach make money? Uh, so Peach makes money on the restaurant side. Um, we have a wholesale partnership with restaurants. So think of Peach as Costco, right? Costco gets huge deals from suppliers because they supply items in block. Very similar. Peach gets 
this bulk demand, like 70, 80 orders every day to restaurant, that restaurant gives us a discount. And that's the money that we take. Like we don't, don't make money on delivery because that is something that I don't know how other companies make money on delivery, <laughs> but the money that we make is on the local restaurant side. So we give them a wholesale contract. Mm, got it. And, and what do they get out of it? They get um, not significant revenues, but volume of predict, predictable revenue, I guess, more. I think predictability is very important to them because labor is very expensive. Mm-hmm. So with any other service like DoorDash or Uber Eats, you actually don't know how many orders are going to come and what time they will come. Mm-hmm. Each, we exactly tell them that how many orders will be coming because we have a pr- good prediction on understanding. Because mm-hmm. like, you have to order. I used to remember when I'd get them, it would come at like 10 in the morning or something, or I'd have to tell them by 10. It was something around 10 a.m. that I remember. 10.30 is the cutoff, yes. Oh, 10.30 is the cutoff, yeah. And right. I like that the decisions are easy because it's like you're not served up with 20 different cuisines and 20 different options within each cuisine. It's like, do you want this? Yes or no? And, and people are busy. They don't want to deal. So it's just like, yes. <laughs> and on the operation side from the restaurant, it's very easy to make four lunch boxes as compared to have the plethora of things opening. So the line cook now knows that, okay, with peach, I need to make these four items. So bam, 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 bam. So I right. think the, the labor optimization is very good with peach as compared to other delivery services on the restaurant mm-hmm. side. Yeah. And so you got some traction and momentum early on. Did that make it easier to raise money? I know you raised from Madrona and Maveron, Vulcan, all local, which is very cool. I um, I think we, the, the, the first time when we launched, we were just viral because there was, we were the one and it was magic. You can just text yes and food will appear. We were the first one to do SMS ordering. And then um, Maveron actually saw our peach bags in Zulili, which was their portfolio company. Mm-hmm. And they, um, Jason Stouffer reached out to me via Serena Glower, who's an angel investor in peach as well. And um, at that time, we had no clue that you can raise money. We were just doing that for the fun of it. And it was mm. so great. And then they came along and we're like, how much money do you want to raise? And we were like, half a million maybe and they were like just laughed at us it's like you need more you don't need this much and it was crazy like we couldn't imagine ever in our dreams that we would raise such a big seed round that was unknown at that time yeah i mean more than anyone completely and so what's been the biggest um i guess surprise of running this business uh take out the pandemic because everybody's been surprised by that so Pre-pandemic, I know that you've been through ups and then you did some layoffs and kind of rejiggered everything, but what has been the Um, biggest surprise and kind of challenge? I think um, the surprise has been that if you take your eyes off from the growth side of the business and you outsource that thinking to someone else, I think it's not going to work well for a company. And I think the other biggest learning that I realized is that I think you can make as good of a product as you can, but if you don't sell it, and if you don't have a good sales, not even just a strategy, but a sales process, it's going to just become very hard. So mm-hmm. I think that's where it was a fundamental shortcoming in me that I was always a developer. Like I'm, I'm a sales guy in a charming way. Like I can charm people very, very, very easily and I can get stuff done. But I think when you are big, you have to get that charming and whatever into process 
that other salespeople that you have can follow and can mm -hmm. repeat that. And I think right. that is so that it's that a system is. and it's repeatable. You know, I'm in that exact place in my business also. Like we've grown dramatically and it's been amazing, but it's all been through one on one relationships and conversations. But there's to scale it, we have to make it repeatable. I can't be me in every single meeting. Um, so that totally makes sense to me. And, and so, um, do you have a coach or do you have anybody who kind of keeps it real for you? Is it your board members? So um, it's your wife. That, <laughs> <laughs> so before I had a coach, um, John Ingalls, um, he helped me in fundraising and recruiting side of the things. And now, um, my, I have a new COO credit who I know from India. Um, he is, a I would say a very accountable person. So he is someone that keeps me accountable in terms of like using the sales as well as all the financial goals that we have. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something also as a big, big learning for me. Like I was always been a very rebellious in terms of like, oh, process are bad for companies. If we take a company down because you're not thinking creativity and whatnot. But I think I've realized it over time that creativity, if not guarded in like, under the like rails, it will just go off. And I think that what happened with Peach when unfortunately we had to do restructuring because the fundamental processes were not built. And it came from me because I was so opposed towards them in lieu of that, no creativity is what will take us to big mm. thing. Yeah. And I think it happens if you are in a very hyper growth and if everything's fall in line, mm -hmm. that's gamble. That happens only a few times, one out of 10,000. All the other 999 times, it doesn't happen. Right. But then you need that. And I think that's what, in the last seven years, I've appreciated that. You need processes to make mm -hmm. an everlasting business. Mm -hmm. And so looking back, like, what do you feel most proud of so far? Obviously, you've got uh, a lot further to go to reach where you're trying to go, but what are you proud of now? Is it is it just being able to be reflective or is there specific things that you feel pride when you think about? I think there's no one specific thing. And I would like, what I would say is that I think I became more mature, both professionally as well as personally. Mm -hmm. um, and in maturity, I mean to say that, um, I, have, I don't remember the person, but someone said that you have two ears and one mouth. So use your ears more than your mouth. And I think- Oh, I like that. That is just change. I think, so this is the, if you can see, it's a, this book, New Sales Simplified, this guy, Mike Wengerberg. I'll, I'll send you the name, but his boss, he's like, I was just blown away with that. I'm like, God damn, you gotta have two ears. So you listen more than you speak. I love that. That might be a game changer. That's that's just so like obvious, such an aha moment, but I like it a lot. So how would you describe like what makes a good peach employee now that you now in your abundant wisdom at age 37, like who are the ass kickers at peach? Um, so I think there, there's a very good profile of that. I think someone who is very good at execution is the foremost thing. Like that is um, given a task, you are going all in. The second most important thing is like, you have to use your own brain. Like, I think the one thing that we have realized over the years is like, you know, there are different set of people. Some people are very good at taking orders and just like going for it. And if they get stuck, they get stuck. I think what we need is if you get stuck, you know your race, can you look above and see how can I go above to this thing, right? And can you ask question? Can you ask for help, right? Do you have 
so much of pride and ego that you cannot, I think. So having a very good execution skill and being able to have a mindset that can you now change your ways given you've got an obstacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. And so um, I guess as far as the employees go, you've got some attributes there that would make somebody successful. Um, but what are you doing to ensure that once they're there, they're successful as far as creating a good culture? I think culture comes from, I fundamentally believe that um, if you, accountability is one thing that we really care. I think if the goals are clear in the very first day when you join that, this is where you are going for. And every week you have some, like, you know, meetings in terms of making sure you're accountable to that. Like, I think at Peach, we believe that there should be no surprises. Mm. Like, if you're not doing good, you should be knowing you're not doing good. If you're doing great, you should be knowing that you're doing great. Like, it should never be a surprise because if there's a surprise, then there's a fault in the management. Like, mm-hmm. we didn't do our job well with you to um, get you to the place where we want the company to be with you. Right. Yeah, I think that that makes total sense. And so where are you in the growth trajectory? Um, I read in the intro that you're kind of everywhere in the U.S., but I also read that you're only in certain cities. So where are you able to service? Where can someone call and, and order food through Peach? So um, we have changed our kind of the way that we um, expand. Um, before, we will take a city and then we'll bombard all the offices to get them on board on Peach. Now we are more about, um, during, since the pandemic, employers are more willing to pay for employees' meals um, because they want to limit exposure of their employees to go out in the COVID times. And I think having a lunch delivery is a great convenience. Mm -hmm. So now we basically, if any employer who has 50 or more employees that they want to subsidize their lunch, and even they are in the middle of Nevada, we don't care. We will just deliver to them because we just need that many orders to have a driver in place and a restaurant selection so that we can keep giving you variety and then the mm. And do, are they getting delivery to their home in the middle of nowhere in Nevada or to their office? Just the office. We just are just office. Office so how's the delivery. business? I mean, I would imagine, I've been thinking about you actually this past year because there's certain clients and people that I've done work with over the years and I'm like, they must be really struggling and others that I know are like, you know, crushing it. Um, but I've been thinking like, with, I mean, we haven't been in our office since March 20th or something of 2020. Um, yes, it has not been easy, um, but I would say it has given us a good silver lining in terms of making our fundamentals strong. Um, what I mean by that is we, uh, when we were doing like kind of B2C where any employee can just order on their own with their own credit card, um, it was a good business, but it had a very kind of a high error rates because the deliveries will be late because we have so many offices to cover. Since the pandemic, we have changed our strategy towards only offering peach to employers when they are subsidizing some sort of subsidy towards an employee meal. It mm. can be a full subsidy, or it can be $5 subsidy, $6 subsidy. And um, just coincidentally, we had a lot of biotech companies that had essential staff on site on the COVID times fall in our lab Mm. that, hey, we need to protect our employees because they need to be on site. We need to make sure that they are not getting exposed going outside for lunch. So we basically kind of pivoted on them. So now we are, if you think like Seattle, San Diego, Boston are three very big pharmaceuticals hub. 
um, we are the biggest leading provider of event service to those companies. So business oh, has been changed for us in terms, and we couldn't believe it ever that yeah. this is something we'll find a niche in yeah. our business. That's and wonderful. It's, it's also because they have used caterers in the past where mm-hmm. they use a restaurant and that restaurant will make all the meals different, like Italian or whatnot, but you cannot make a good Italian food if you are an American chef, right? Right. So that's something what Peach does is like, we are the variety people, right? We provide different, different varieties from the local restaurants and we have a ordering system that you don't have to use Google Sheets to take everyone's order and put that. So I think that whole biotech sector being in on-site helped us to understand that employer-subsidized meals is the way to go for us. And yeah. hence, we can open in any state that we want. Like, we are open in Michigan. Of all oh, that's places. amazing. That's amazing. And so what are the long-term plans for Peach? I read in the intro, you know, IPO. Um, so, um, so there I have, so I think... That's a mission, IPO, it's not a goal. Like we would love yeah. to get there. Yeah. But I think for now, uh, this year, we would like to go back to what we used to do in terms of our revenue. And I think what we have understood this year is Peach is actually a very good tool. If you are an HR, an office manager, and you want to subsidize, you want to give meal benefits to employees, Peach is a very good tool. Like the ordering is super simple. The curation is amazing. We, are, we, we call ourselves lunchbox specialists. Like a lot of caterers who used to do catering platters now are doing lunchboxes, but you actually need to know what goes in a lunchbox. Like an Indian food needs to be like curry, naan, rice, vegetables. Like yeah. how do you understand all these things? And Mexican food, what goes in a lunchbox? So I think yeah. the tool that we have in terms of giving meal benefit to people is something that we are very excited. And given the COVID, I think a lot of more employers are going to be open towards providing these meal benefits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on top of that, um, in the year 2021 and 2022, um, if you are an employer and you are providing meals to employees on premises from local restaurant, all those meals are tax deductible. Mm. So that is a big deal for us because now as an employer, you are spending much less money and still giving the meal benefits. So yeah. I think... This is a trend that we want to up on and see how far can we go with it. I think I think that it's going to be endless. I know you can do it. I'm totally rooting for you. It's going to, you're going to continue to crush it. So what are you doing to stay, you know, everyone's really stressed out right now. It sounds like things are going pretty well for you. I'm guessing you're just an optimist also. Um, what do you do to stay mentally and physically healthy? Mental exercise, meditation is the most important thing I have learned from my downtimes. Um, I think you never know what life is going to throw at you. And um, the only thing that you can do is just like you do physical exercise, you do mental exercise. Mm. A great song by GOV that um, I'll send you after an email, but he talks about mental exercises in a very EDM fashion. Um, so I think that is something that I really, really enjoy. And I think the other part is um, understanding that when you have a stress, the only way to get rid of that stress is to go through it and not escape it. And mm-hmm. that is something I learned from Ray Dalio. I, I read his book. Yeah, uh, Bridge, from Bridgewater, yeah. Oh my God, I'm a huge fan. And I think he got this thing in my mind. is like, everyone has pain. Everyone will get pain. And the only way you get through the pain is going through it. Like mm-hmm. just bombard it through it and that's how you do it. You cannot escape it. It will always come back to you. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's what I do back in my previous time. I would escape hard conversations. I would escape hard conversations from my board, from my employees. And, you know, um, that has led to me in the way that was not conducive for the company, for, mm-hmm. for the shareholders. And I think now it's more like you have to listen to those um, hard conversations and you have to meditate on them, like sit on them. How long do you meditate? There's no set thing. I think I can meditate. Um, I live in Capitol Hill and my office in Pioneer Square. So the train takes around 10 minutes. That's my time where I just like close my eyes, just hear all the things that are coming without judgment. Train mm. noise, people talking, just hear. Just hear mm. and not decide whether it's good or bad. Yeah, not, not label it or give it any sort of meaning. Yeah. And what about, do you have any other sort of rituals or ways that you set yourself up for a good week, a good month, a good day? Um, I Every morning when I wake up, I make chai, which is an Indian tea. And I don't know what, but if I don't make that, my day just gets disrupted. Like it just... Uh, it's like the, the ritual of it. Just ritual of it, how much tea, like milk, how much water, ginger, cardamom. Yeah, what you're making you me hungry. You're making me hungry and thirsty. Now I want chai. That's my job. <laughs> no, I'm like, I'm going to order some peach. So cardamom and what else goes in there? Uh, ginger for your throat. Like I think in during the COVID time, that is specifically is very good because your throat is where the virus sits. Yeah. And ginger is known for uh, making your throat very... Yeah. Uh, and I think it's like got some sort of antiviral. Yeah. That too. Yes. Um, and, and so when this whole thing's over, I know you said seeing the U.S. by car is where it's at. Um, are there places that you're just like, this is on my bucket list. I got to travel this. Everyone's got their virus, you know, uh, vaccinated. And where are you going to head? I think I'm, I have figured out now that I'm a kind of person that now likes to have like certain place and just keep going there. Oh. exploring more deeper so i think instead of going narrower i'm kind of being a deeper person these days mm. there are two places that i i think um, me and my wife melanie are going to have a place one is joshua tree near Palm i thought Springs. you were gonna say that yeah and the other is big island um, oh yeah big island and I think is the best both these places are like desert and I mm. think there is, um, I'm like, I'm from desert part in India. Like that's mm. where my family's from. So I think there is something. And Melanie's from Eastern Vinachi, which is also a high desert. Mm. So there is something that I think that brings us together there. Yeah. I feel like there's something magic and mystery in desert, which is not in other places. Mm, I love, I mean, I do like Joshua Tree. I've only been a couple of times, but I love the Big Island. I love yes. the Big Island. So good. Enjoy. Well, I'm super glad to have you on the podcast. I have one final question and it is what fuels you? What's your like ultimate kind of jazzy gets you out of bed besides chai? Uh, Value creation. (laughs) Value creation. I would like to take everybody's answers and make some sort of like, I don't even know. Just like a collage. Write them all like a collage. People say the coolest stuff. I love value creation. I think this is what I have learned. Like if you want to become rich, became famous, became the person that you want to be, is you gotta create value for others. So I think I would change the value creation for others. I think mm. that's the key. It's you get value when you create value for others. And hence mm. the dream for IPO as well. Because IPO is not just my dream. It's a lot of others people dream who are associated mm. with each. Yeah. I think that's still that's something that I fuels me. 
which yeah, is very good. I love it. Question, actually. <laughs> I'm rooting for you. I have total faith in you and I'm so glad I got to interview you. This was a ton of fun. Me too. Thank you so yeah. much for inviting me. I'm humbled that you You're think you're worthy for this. Of course. Good to see you. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Thank you.